Welcome to the Men's Divorce Podcast, presented by the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell, a partner men can count on. Now, here's your host, managing partner and CEO of Cordell & Cordell, Scott Trout. Well, welcome everyone. It's Scott Trout here with Cordell & Cordell. I'm the CEO and managing partner. And welcome to part two of our ongoing series of a four-part series where we talk a lot about divorce. Uh, last time in part one, we talked about my wife or I am thinking about divorce and what do we do. And today we're going to talk about my wife has filed. Now what? You know, many guys uh, face that uh, proposition that they are either divorced they didn't know, they didn't expect, or they don't want. And uh, again, we want to really just talk generally about uh, thoughts and tips that we can give guys based upon our collective experience at Cordell & Cordell. Not legal advice, keep in mind. Uh, we're not going to give you any legal advice because there's just too many facts and circumstances that would dictate. And obviously, I'm licensed in Missouri and Illinois and Georgia only. And uh, guys out there I know around the country in states that I'm not licensed in and my guests are typically as well. And so I've got a guest today from Cordell and Cordell, Aaron Zelensky. I'm going to have you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, and then we'll get right into the meat. I'm Aaron Zelensky. I am a senior litigator at Cordell and Cordell. I've been with the firm for almost two years, but I've been practicing in the state of Missouri for 17 years this year. Well, I'm looking forward to giving guys out there a lot of info because they uh, often come in and say, I didn't see this coming. Now, you know, questionable whether they should have, right? And then obviously in part one, um, if they had any hint of it, they should be practicing uh, or preparing and strategizing about it. So let's start. Guy comes in the door uh, and says, hey, I didn't know it was coming. Uh, she filed. Um, question I always ask is, were you served, right? Anything? So what happens after uh, you ask that question and what else would you ask a guy originally or initially as they come in the door? Well, it is pretty shocking, especially if they didn't know it was coming. So a lot of times it's just sitting... Um, listening and try to get a little bit of a background as to what's going on. If he has been served, typically he will have brought the packet, the summons packet with him. We will go through that packet together, see what allegations are being made. If it's a question of alimony or maintenance, child support, it's very overwhelming. So it's typically just sitting down, trying to calm some nerves and, and figuring out where to go from there. Right and walking through that process. So there are all kinds of timelines that are critically important to guys. So um, guys are out there saying, we we oftentimes, lawyers, we throw legal terms out there that uh, no one understands, like served. What does it mean? What, and if a guy comes in with the papers and you ask him, well, have you been served? And what does that mean? So tell us, tell guys out there, what does it mean to be served? So if there's a knock at the door and a man stands there and hands <laughs> you a packet... Um, and it's a petition for dissolution of marriage in the state of Missouri, mm-hmm. um, then you know, he's been served. And, we, and I would explain that, you know, you've officially been served. So now in our state, you have 30 days to respond to that packet. Yep. And you have to file certain pleadings or documents in response to your wife's petition for divorce. So my, uh, I'll give you, I'll just play the guy out there. Um, my wife gave this to me. Uh, and she said, I don't need to worry about it. Um, or let me take it even a step further. A guy did come to the door. I don't know who he was. He was in regular clothing. It could have been a friend. He said, consider yourself served. But my wife said, don't worry about it. I'm working with my lawyer. He said, you don't have to worry about it. And, uh, it's 29 days 
ago. Do I need to be worried about it? You need to be really worried about mm-hmm. it. So what uh, steps do I take? What do I do? And why do I need to be worried? What can happen to me? I mean, she promised me. I mean, she said, hey, honey, I, I want to work this out. Uh, I really don't want to go forward with it. But she hasn't dis- dismissed it or done anything to, to make it go away. So if it is, in fact, 29 days ago that that you were served um, or that she hands you a packet or whatever it was told to you, mm-hmm. I say – in almost every meeting with um, a gentleman who's been served, uh, that you will hear things that your wife will tell you constantly over the process of a divorce. 99% of the time, it's not true, it's not factual, Mm -hmm. and it's just a way to sort of manipulate the situation. It is imperative to get yourself an attorney Mm -hmm. as quickly as possible, but also to pick an attorney that you're comfortable with, um, and that explains this process to process too, because it is incredibly overwhelming. Something like a timeline, like these 29 days. If you do not respond within those 30 days, your wife could get a default judgment against you. And you don't want that to happen. It would be a judgment she would try and get entered by a judge, dividing your property, awarding maintenance or, or child support or custody, and you would have nothing to do with it because the mm-hmm. court doesn't see where there's been anything filed by you. So they can proceed without him. Absolutely. And they will. Absolutely. Uh, what are the chances of getting it set aside? If I just sit on my rights because she told me, I don't have to worry about it. So in the state of Missouri and in, in, in the uh, jurisdictions that I practice, if something like that were to happen and there is a judgment entered, the court and the judges, in my, in my opinion and in my experience, tend to set them aside because they don't want a default judgment entered. They would rather give the parties the opportunity to litigate the case um, for a fair settlement. So if you have any sort of excuse or legal or otherwise, the judges will tend to set them aside, but mm-hmm. it's absolutely not something you want to risk. And don't rely on it, right? Absolutely not. So if she just hands it to me, I, I've always told guys, if your wife hands you documents, even if it's not served, you need to go see a lawyer. I mean, it's always protect your rights by at least getting the information that you need and to know what you should do, right? So they should, first thing to do next day, call their lawyer, right? Call lawyer, yep. Right. And so um, as, you know, during that conversation, I've had guys say, well, my wife said, hey, let's use one lawyer. My guy's really good. It's all he does. And he said he can handle it for us both. And it'll cost us half the amount. Should the guy use one lawyer every time? I would say rarely, if ever, mm-hmm, right. to use one lawyer. Um, if it's an amicable situation and you knew it was coming and mm-hmm. it's something the two of you talked about and it's there's, there's no issues involved, maybe, but even then I would still... S- highly recommend getting a lawyer just to protect your rights. Yeah. So, and and there are so many issues at stake um, and one lawyer cannot adequately and really shouldn't be representing mm-hmm. both of you. Yeah. I've always said to guys, here's the caution. If you fall into that trap and you agree that, you know, because it is, it's, it's, um, it's incenting to want to spend half the amount of money or even, you know, 20% of the money uh, because she's got a lawyer and you go, oh, I'll just settle it. Uh, that lawyer cannot represent your interest, will not represent your interest. And if they do, I think there's an ethical issue because I've told my clients uh, similar where you know, I'm all for, and we'll get into that a little bit about preparing an offer. Um, and if she wants to retain counsel, fine. If not, that's okay as well. But I will refuse to meet with them. I will not speak with them. I don't want to meet with them in our office. They can't come to my office. Uh, I don't want to even give 
what I call a scintilla uh, of anything that suggests that I represent their interests or going to change anything for them because I represent one person and that's it. And so think about it this way. Do you want to risk everything you've earned, worked for, your property, your retirement, your kids on someone who has not looking out for your best interest at all? Is that really worth it? And so in part one, uh, we, we spoke a little bit about it's the best $200 you ever, ever will spend to just go get some advice. Uh, it's not 2000 it's 200 Just to see, do I need a lawyer? I mean, resoundingly, we're always going to say yes because there's so many things from a guy's perspective that, you know, whether it be tax consequences and tax deductions on kids or the effects on the division of property, uh, whatever it may be, you know, your surviving spouse rights on retirement that you're not thinking about, um, even if she says, you know, we should use one, the answer should always be no. I mean, right. in my mind, always. And it also goes back to where, you know, one party, and because I, I mainly represent men at this point, but, um, you know, if the other party, if the wife is telling you things and telling you as if it's fact or it's law, and you haven't gone to check to verify if any of those things are true, and then it comes to a point where you're handed a document that is dividing everything you've ever worked for, mm-hmm. and you've gone all you've taken is the word of your wife who served you with a divorce. Yep. So she's looking out for her best interest. She is certainly not looking out for yours. So again, just to get, it's one hour out of, of a day for $200 yep. and it's absolutely worth it. I, I give guys a visual. I do this seminar around the country, 10 stupidest mistakes guys make when uh, facing divorce. And I give them a visual that kind of puts this in perspective. And that is, when you got married, you're sitting next to each other and, and at the long table and you're looking out on your family and friends. You're on the same side of the table. Now that she's served you, you're at opposite sides of the table. It's almost like a negotiation. Now uh, she has her interests on, your, on one side and you have yours on the other. It is a very different dynamic and you need to treat it as such and that you're not as one working together. You're now separate. Uh, and so keep that in mind as, as wonderful as your relationship may still be, as cordial and cooperative as you anticipate this thing to go, uh, it is to treat it with the respect that it deserves and that is have someone give you uh, recommendations. If you were diagnosed with a disease, you wouldn't treat yourself. Yeah, or you wouldn't Google it and then try to do your own treatment plan. You'd go get some advice from a doctor, wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah. So one of the things um, most guys come in, and this makes the presumption that you know she's filed and you're still living together, because I would say the super majority um, of guys that I see in cases I see, they are still living together early on because they're financial reasons for the most part. Um, the question is, is, do I move out? As a guy, what do you recommend? Do you, should they move out and are, are there consequences, advantages? What do you think? So that question comes up ev- at every single meeting. And um, I generally say, do not move out. If you can remain in the house, stay in the house as long as possible. Um, figure out some way to make it work. Um, I mean, I've had clients who say, well, I stay down in the basement during certain days and she stays upstairs. Um, and then they, they just sort of come upstairs to take care of the kids for those two or three days and then swap. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy. It's not convenient. But it, I think it's necessary. Um, it's not permanent. So there's always sort of the light at the end of the tunnel. We just got to get through a few months of the beginning of the divorce. Um, oftentimes, it can go through the entire divorce. Um, but that's not preferred. 
um, in the beginning of the divorce, you can file motions, you can you can ask the court for some relief on these issues, like living in the same house. Because if you move, you've got, especially if there's kids involved, um, the person remaining in the home with the kids is automatically going to have the upper hand. And then you are going to be left having to beg for custody of your children. And there's no court order in place that tells, that orders her to turn them over to you. And it could be four weeks, six weeks before we can get in front of a judge on this. So you've all, you, immediately you put yourself at a disadvantage if you move. Yeah. That's a huge point because the very first question is what advantage do you gain? Divorce by, its, by nature is an irrational thing oftentimes. I mean, there are very rational decisions to do it, whether it be domestic violence, whatever it may be. But it causes people to make irrational and very uh, quick, you know, irrational decisions. And so before you do anything you do, it should be, what advantage do I gain? And do I gain control in my case? And specifically, whether you have kids or no kids, I always say that there are, the, the decision I think is the same unless you can get control. Uh, because there are huge consequences by moving out. And, you know, I'll just throw one out, and that could be double household expenses. Um, if you're the breadwinner and you move out and you leave the kids behind in that, you know, with mom, uh, and if I'm mom's lawyer, I'm going to say stop paying the bills. Force him to pay the bills. He's the breadwinner. Or she takes all the money out of the checking account. Um, you kind of lose control. You've gone from a wonderful home to a one-bedroom apartment with no furniture, perhaps, maybe an air mattress on the floor. So you really can't even have custody because you have nowhere for your kids to sleep. And uh, now you're paying for your wife to live in your home and her boyfriend, maybe. I mean, it just you can think of the scenarios in which that decision becomes an irrational one to move out because the consequences are so drastic. And so I've often told guys... Think about it as it relates to kids. There's parental alienation issues. And if you don't know what that is, I, I'd encourage you to look it up. Uh, parental alienation syndrome. It's something that you should have a conversation with your lawyer about um, or double household expenses, whether you have kids or not. Um, they're just a consequence to every action that I see in divorce. And so I do see the decision uh, and it should be a question uh, that you have with your lawyer. Again, Often, and I agree with Aaron that I always say, don't move out absent uh, domestic violence, you know, safety issues. Uh, but don't, you know, take that for for gospel from us today. It's just again, everything we talk about today uh, should be used as a basis to form questions that you have when you seek out counsel. But they are based upon our collective experience. To that, to the flip end of that, mm-hmm. um, in terms of never moving out, and you mentioned the domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Um, I find, and I, I, sadly, I find it more and more often that if the parties stay in the same house, um, there is sort of this exception. And that is, um, I have found that women or the wives will go and, and get an order of protection completely unjustified, completely based on false allegations. And the only reason it's done is to get the husband out of the house. Mm-hmm. It's very unfortunate because it's very difficult to undo it once it's done. Even if you prove and you get it dismissed, it's an entirely separate court date. It's in a different division, um, well, at least in where we practice. And um, it's just difficult. It adds a whole new level of, it adds a whole new level of complication to the divorce. Yeah. So if that's the case, that's the main, that's the other question I'll ask. What is it like in the house? Do you mm-hmm. have this fear? Um, do you think it's something she would be capable of doing? 
And like you said, it's such an irrational time. It's mm-hmm. an emotional time. Um, people don't act like they would normally act. But if you think that is something that she would do or that she could do, then consider it yeah. because you don't want to end up getting an order of protection against you and having this whole new complication if you are able to leave. Yeah. That's one of the mistakes we talk about in our evening seminars or even our live webinar over lunch hour um, is allowing confrontations to occur and or escalate. And that is, it's a great point to, to talk about what it is, what's it like in the house? Are you guys arguing constantly? Because I agree wholeheartedly that as it sits, at least in Missouri and Illinois and Georgia, the, the, the statutes and the law as it relates to the ability to get an order of protection and in some states without even you know a notice and you have you know an hour to get to court to defend yourself against allegations that you know judges aren't risk takers. If the wife says he threatened to kill me uh, and you know you weren't even there, judge is going to probably enter the order absent some direct clear and convincing evidence to the contrary. They just don't want to be on the news that says that somebody actually took action the next day when you denied an order of protection. That's so. exactly right. I also say um, if that's the environment within the house, mm-hmm. um, here you can record. Uh, if you're if you're doing the recording, um, I will encourage the guy to, to start recording if there's yeah. fights. Or, and I don't like doing It's not something I would encourage someone to do. Mm-hmm. It really does take a certain set of circumstances like allegations of domestic violence. But um, if you start recording if you mm-hmm. think it's a possibility. Um, I also tell the guys, hey, texts are golden in court. Mm-hmm. In our courts, if you can print out your text messages where, um, you know, if she runs and tries to get an order of protection and you come to court and have text messages where, you know, she's asking you what's for dinner, then, you know, chances are she's not, she doesn't feel threatened. Yeah. And you can show those to the court and you can you very easily get that order of protection thrown out. So text messages are so important. So in that initial consult, part of that consult is telling them what to do now, mm-hmm. what step in the interim before that day of your consult and whatever next step you're going to take, start being aware, just aware of everything you have in terms of text messages, videos, bank statements that are coming in, keep a journal, um, just so that there's clarity later on because the divorce process can take some time. Yeah. It's do nothing that gives her an advantage or control in the case. Because, uh, again, it's like uh, when I talk about the allowing confrontations to occur, and that is there is no argument that you're going to win. If you're headed to the divorce, you will never win that argument. And it's not worth it. And whatever uh, your spouse does to bait you into a conversation that becomes an argument, just walk away. Let your lawyers handle it. Uh, you're not there to win it because you won't win it. In fact, the only thing you'll win is an order of protection. Yes. <laughs> you'll win yes. the ability to get five minutes to gather what you can in your hands when the sheriff's waiting for you outside to escort you away from your property to which you will never get back into. Correct. It's not fun. And so, uh, you know, moving out, if you can move out uh, with the kids and gain control, by all means, we suggest you do it, obviously. Again, it's one of those things where what we're talking about today and everything we do in this four part series again, is just want you to have a conversation. The questions that many guys don't think about, the issues that many guys don't consider, this is what we're doing today. Just so you go to your lawyer, whether it's at Cordell and Cordell or whether it's somewhere else who does family law. In part one, we talked about 
the lawyer that you should look for and what's important. Um, again, write these down and say, hey, you know what I heard on this podcast? I shouldn't move out. What do you think? And I think that's key. So as you think about moving out, you know, in those same um, in that same arena, um, do you suggest to guys in any way that they should preserve any documents, whether it be tax returns, pay stubs, four hundred one k, anything important? I think you mentioned it earlier about the uh, if you don't have it, it costs us money and time to get it. So what would you suggest to guys out there? Um, wife has filed; they're still living together. Do you suggest he, they go and preserve something, put it offsite? What do you suggest? If if they are able or he's able to do that, absolutely. It would be very beneficial. Um, ultimately, for something like tax returns, bank statements, we'll be able to get them. It's mm-hmm. just a more expensive route. Um, we have to send out subpoenas or discovery requests. It just becomes more than it needs to be if he is able to obtain those from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. If you can bring them to your office or bring them where give them to a, a friend, a family member, hey, hold on to these for a bit. Um, or give them to your lawyer. I mean, yeah. if, as soon as you if you file and you're in it, you can hand it all over to your lawyer as soon as you find it or collect it. And then the lawyer will keep it and likely exchange it with the other attorney. In Missouri, we are required to. There's certain mm-hmm. documents that we have to exchange. So if He's able to get them in the beginning. It just makes it yeah. easier moving forward. In, in part one, we talked a little bit about the things, that, what I call attorney savings opportunities. And the more prepared you are, the less we have to spend. And it is, I think it's key, uh, gather what you can, even move them offsite, but give them to your lawyer. It's just better because ultimately we do have to exchange them and uh, we can keep them. And I think it's important. Inventorying property. I've, I've talked a lot about this in, in my webinars and in my seminars. You're still living together, but in the event that you get kicked out, what do you tell guys about property? You know, while they're still able to inventory, if they're still living together, what do you tell them to do? If they're still living together yeah. and he's moving and he plans, or, or they may get kicked out, or they may be moving out, whether it's an inventory or taking property, what do you what do you tell guys? What do I do? Do I just leave with my clothes and do nothing, or do I walk through the house, take what I can, take what I want, or do I just record it all so I know what's there? I. I I advise a little of both. Mm-hmm. So if the divorce process is happening, everybody's in court, everybody's got a lawyer, and we're in process of your divorce. Um, in the very beginning, I would take the inventory. You can even record it. You don't even have to write everything down. You can just walk through the house with your camera, You know, open drawers, open closets, mm-hmm. um, open boxes, um, and just get an idea of everything that's there. Because let's say at some point you have to leave the house. I can't even tell you how many cases I have pending right now where they haven't been in the house in eight, nine, 10 months. Mm. They don't know what's there. Mm -hmm. They don't know what's been moved. Um, And they haven't been in the house in so long, they can't possibly remember. So, or, um, you know, the wife is spiteful and the things are destroyed and um, the house is in such disarray that you don't know what's there or not there. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy what can be done during during the divorce process. Mm-hmm. So do, again, be proactive. I think that's key. Proactive throughout your entire case. Um, take an inventory if you can. Write it down. Do an, a video. Um, then create a list of what you want. 
out of all your marital possessions, what is it that you want to walk out of that house with mm-hmm. if you are the one that has to move? Yep. And then give that list to your lawyer. And your lawyer, and I, I think we might be talking about this later, but if your lawyer sends over a settlement letter at some point during this process, you want to try to negotiate a settlement. Mm-hmm. Property or household goods, personal property is a, a part or subsection of that settlement. And I literally attach the list. Yep. Here's what he wants. When can he come get it? Yeah, that's a huge point. Um, if you don't include it, uh, you'll never see it again, mm-hmm. even after divorce. Because there's always this catchphrase, this catch-all that says, the if not delineated specifically herein, mm-hmm. the person who has possession of the property retains possession of the property. Correct. And you can say, well, well, that's my separate property. It's all my yearbooks from my high school. Well, too bad. Didn't, didn't list it out. She gets to keep it, right? I mean, it is what it is. That's why I tell guys, look, if you want it, list it. If you want it, take it if you're moving out. Uh, and if you don't want it, still list it because I want to know what she has. Mm-hmm. Um, some people you know, gloss over some of the most important, maybe valuable things. It could be artwork. It could be jewelry. Um, you know, There are some people that have quite a bit and that all matters at the end of the day. Um, we want to value everything. And so I think it's, it's just so important as a consequence of moving out and not thinking about it is, oh, I just left everything behind and now I have no idea what's there as you suggested. So um, the other thing um, guys ask is um, she's filed. We're going to stay living together, uh, but I contribute to my retirement. Should I continue to do so? You know, because of every dollar or every you know every every dollar I'm putting in there is going to be fifty percent hers. What do I do? What do you suggest? So in terms of if she has filed mm-hmm. um, in the state of Missouri in specific counties. Um, there's actually rules where you can't change. You can't go about changing this. Well, what they call it is the status quo. So you can't stop making maintenance. Or I'm sorry, uh, mortgage payments. You can't stop making car payments um, or credit cards, and you can't incur a huge loan out of the blue. Um, it everything has to stay the status quo. So if you've always contributed to your retirement and you immediately stop. Mm-hmm. And at some point, they, the other side, the other attorney figures that out just by looking at your paycheck stubs. Um, it just won't look good for you with, with the judge because it's clear what, what your intent was. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the, the divorce is pending and you don't want her to get any more than what she's already entitled to at the time she filed for divorce. But you have to weigh that up against what the judge is going to say when they see that you've done that. Yep. And so the other thing I'd suggest guys do early on to kind of save a little bit of the money, because we know ultimately retirement in some fashion, it may or may not be divided. So I I suggest to my clients uh, and every consult is to gather the plan documents, uh, uh, whether from the administrator. So that way there's something called a QDR, a qualified domestic relations order for certain types of plans like 401ks, things that are governed by what we call ERISA that require a court order a, a very specific court order that is consistent with what your plan suggests and how we divide it. Not a taxable consequence as long as we don't uh, withdraw money outside of another retirement account. But it just speeds the process up. So as guys come in the door, they filed, I will often suggest, hey, go to your plan administrator, go to your HR department and say, look, I just need the plan documents for my 401k so I know how to divide it upon divorce. And so it's just something I think about. But obviously, yeah, before divorce... That's a consideration. Nothing's been filed. Talk to your attorney about 
Should you be contributing to your retirement? Should you continue if that's ultimately what's going to happen, knowing that 50% of everything or more may be given to her? But obviously, depending upon your state, whether or not there's a standing order that's entered that prohibits you from making any changes, do so. Again, another important conversation. Um, Guys often ask, do I talk to my wife? Um, Do I talk to her about the case? Do I... And you know, negotiate with her without my lawyer. What what do you recommend to guys do? Because oftentimes it's one of my topics that I do in the evening. It's called talking too much. Uh, I think there's a balance. What do you think guys should do if their spouse approaches them and wants to talk settlement? So I always encourage if things can be amicable, keep them amicable, because you can literally watch the cost of your divorce skyrocket with the more. Um, animosity and mm-hmm. just almost to the point where many times it's like a pure hatred that happens over the course of the divorce. Um, and unfortunately, that kind of contested litigation costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, or they just don't have that hatred for each other. They just don't want to be married. So then, of course, it's a lot easier to want to talk it out. Like, you know, let's see if we can come to terms. Um, I'm not opposed to that. I am opposed to, I will encourage them, don't ever, ever sign anything. Um, if the two of you are sitting in the living room one night and just, hey, how about we make this all go away? What do you think about this? Nobody has to agree to anything. Um, and then the next day you email me immediately. Hey, we talked. This is kind of what we were talking about. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's bad, I will say stop yeah. <laughs> immediately. No more talking about that. That's not going to work. And I can explain him. I'll call him. This is why this isn't in your best interest. While I appreciate what you're trying to do, um, that's that's not in your best interest. So I don't necessarily discourage the talk. I don't think you should say too much, especially anything that he and I have talked about. Right. Strategy. Um, Oh, absolutely not. No, right. No strategy. But if it's just generalized talking, custody, I think, is a really good thing to talk about. Um, obviously we always encourage 50, 50, the state of Missouri is now that's the presumption is 50, 50. Um, so if they can agree to a 50, 50 custody schedule earlier than later, Mm -hmm. that's fantastic. That just, that, that's a huge battle that they can overcome that doesn't have to do with money, which is much more, um, complicated, but less emotional. When we talk about strategy, you'd mentioned one of the things, um, I discuss at night is I, you know, every guy's heard of or every gal, Texas Hold'em, you know, World Series of Poker. Uh, and I, I liken that to divorce and I liken it to the relationship post filing uh, in this way. So you spend a lot of money with your attorney to develop a strategy. And the reason you do that is to try to create this roadmap that can get you from point A to point Z and put you in the best possible position to achieve your goals. There's no promises, no guarantees, right? But you want to be in the best position. So you spend a lot of money on your attorney who does domestic relations only, trying to get them exactly what they want. And so let's think about that like playing poker. So you sit down, you get your two cards face down, and you look at them, and they're both aces. Uh, No one's put any other money other than the blinds in. Who in their right mind would flop those aces over before anyone bets and say, look what I have. I have a pair of aces, right? <laughs> right? You wouldn't because everybody at the table would just fold. And so all you get is a small blind and the big blind, and that's nothing. Um, it's like this in that why in the world would you share your divorce strategy with your spouse 
because that's what she wants. You know, she wants to get out of you what you're planning. I, I tell a story about this, and you know, really, it's a sad story about a guy that did the exact thing. He shared his aces, and so when I mean that, you just have to take that approach. That every time she's asking you about, let's talk about settling this. She wants to know more about what you're planning, and so I think that's a really valid point. It's a very important point, uh, and I always think about themes when I talk about uh, these types of things. And this is just called Texas Hold'em. And every time you have a conversation or she's trying to have a conversation, just think of Texas Hold'em that you have aces and don't show your aces ever. Um, you just play dumb and you listen. Listening is important. and But also, it's not doesn't mean don't share. It doesn't mean don't talk. What it means is just be wary of what or be wary of what you're doing and try to settle it. Let your lawyer try and do it. Um, because that's just so key. Texas Hold'em, showing your aces is never a good idea. It never gives you the advantage uh, unless there's a lot of money on the table already and you're going to get it. So, right. so lawyers won't even do it. I mean, right. trial is one thing, but um, which is when you know, you'll know you show everything. But if mm-hmm. you're in negotiation stage, I mean, you're going to put your an offer that isn't going to look like anything the two of you talked about while yeah. trying to negotiate. Totally. Um, as we get towards the end of the this part two series, uh, the guys always say, you know, what role am I going to have in my kids' lives? Um, maybe you can briefly talk about uh, the differences. And I know every state has some variances and they may use some different terminology, but many guys don't understand what legal custody is compared to physical. Um, you always talk about, I want custody. Uh, and it is really broken out into two portions. Maybe you can just briefly, albeit from the, the position of Missouri, but it does apply in large part around the country. Just talk about the two differences and the two, maybe not differences, but the two aspects of divorce and uh, what role that guys may play in that. So a dad is going to have as much access and in, in as much of a role in the lives of his children as as he wants, essentially, because then we're going to fight to make sure he can get that. Because essentially, it should be 50-50. Um, in terms of the sole custody versus physical custody, in the state of Missouri, physical custody just doesn't mean what it used to. Um, it's physical cu- You can have 100%. You can have sole physical custody in the state of Missouri, and the other side can have 50% visitation. It just, the case law over the, the last, I don't know, it's maybe 10 years has changed it to where it doesn't, it doesn't hold, it just doesn't have a whole lot of meaning. That is not the same for legal custody. Legal custody has to do with any of the major medical education, um, major decisions that are made on behalf of your kids. Um, that is very significant. Um, it's presumed or it should be joint legal in the state of Missouri, if the parties cannot or will not co-parent and cannot communicate, um, then you would ask for sole legal custody, that one parent make all the decisions for the child because mom and dad can't communicate. They, they are is incapable of coming up with a resolution between the two of them, so one party gets to make the call. And what is legal custody? Any major decision affecting the children, um, medical, education, um, Oh, the other one is right there, and I'm. <laughs> it's just any, I always, yeah, I always say it's it's major medical and, and education. In education, there's general welfare stuff, but I mean, right. like extracurriculars have you know sometimes there's an agreement with extracurriculars, but it's the major stuff like surgeries, major right. medical stuff. And medical it includes counseling yeah. and psychiatrist, and you know if there's going to be any 
um, aesthetic or mm-hmm. or cosmetic surgery, they have to agree. Um, and you can even put in provisions about tattoos or piercings. Yeah. I mean, those are major decisions. And, choice of religion. Oh, that, that's what it was. Yep. That's what it was. It was choice of religion, mm-hmm. medical, or education. Yeah. And it could be a choice of school. So they're going right. from high school or grade school to high school, high school to college. Um, and so that's really – many guys don't realize and, and they give away something so important – uh, that is trying to do – you just don't want what I often see, uh, meet and confer. Meet and confer means she's going to say, what do you think? Okay, I don't care. Hang up. Mm-hmm. And then she'll make the decision. You want meet, confer, and agree. Right. All right. So uh, th- I think legal custody has more – nowadays, considering, for example, Missouri is a 50-50 state from a physical custody perspective, you just want to make sure you shore up your legal custody provision if you have a settlement. And you just want to make sure that the – that the language is tight enough that she has to, or you, if you're, you know, the one has to meet, confer, and agree. Um, because I think and in that, writing. And, and in writing, writing. right. <laughs> exactly. Because I think you, you, you still want to play parent. You want to have those important roles on those important decisions. I mean, it's the, the simple ones on the day-to-day activities um, should be made with a parent who's having maybe that custody time. But it is the important ones. You know, if they're going to go in for a major surgery, both parents should have a say-so. And that's it's important. So many guys just have questions about legal and physical. Um, last thing, you know, we talked process, timeline. We can skip the process probably. We did talk a little bit about that in part one. Um, you know, how long is it? Guy? Guys always like, I want a divorce. Can I get remarried in two weeks? You know, it's that always, you know, how fast can I get away from her? And that's always the question. And I know it varies state to state, but typically, you know, here in Missouri, how long is it going to take if I can't agree? And how fast can I do it when we do agree? So if you agree and let's say you agree before you even file, um, that is fantastic news. So then we would draft, we would file, you still have to file the petition for dissolution with the court, with all the required pleadings that goes with that. You file it, and then in the state of Missouri, there's a, they call it a 30-day sort of cooling off period, that your file, your petition for dissolution has to be on file for 30 days before a, a final judgment can be entered. Um, and then you you can, everybody can sign it, and it can be filed, and you're, the day that that judgment is signed, you're divorced. Mm-hmm. Um if it is contested, which is primarily what I deal with or what we deal with, um, if it is contested in the state of Missouri and especially the jurisdictions we are in, um, the timeline is usually nine to twelve months. Um, in St. Louis County, it is the judges do not like to go past twelve months, um, so they are really strict about that timeline. Um, it sounds like a very long time. It is a long time, and it's a hard. It's a hard period of time for everyone, um, but it is moving along. It go mm-hmm. You have status or settlement conferences with the court every four to six weeks. The attorneys appear. They let the judge know what's going on. You try to get some input for the judge as to how to resolve the case, and then that helps you with your settlement negotiations, um, but sometimes you just can't settle them, which means you get a trial date, and trial dates are often you know, two, three months they're set two to three months after um, you're in court. So, uh, and that's just because of the court calendar. So it's very frustrating for a lot of these guys going through divorce, which is understandable because it is a very, it's a long process and a lot of it just has to do with the court's calendar. Yep. And so any, you know, parting thoughts for guys, 
you know, she's filed. Uh, anything that they should think about um, other than what we've spoken about that you think is important for guys to just, you know, whether even information gathering and research? I think if she's filed um, and you are surprised by that, I think the, the first thing should be go meet with lawyers and I don't, I'm, I'm saying more than one. Um, I mean, I'm confident in Cordell that you can come and you, you would feel confident with any Cordell attorney um, that you would speak with. But it's important to find an attorney that um, you feel like is going to have your back and that's going to be able to get you through this process. Um, you may not mesh well with an attorney you meet with, but you feel like you have to hire them because, you know, he's the first person that you met and I just want to get the, st- the process started. Um, I would really advise not to do that, to find the attorney that you feel like is going to work for your best interests. And then once you have that attorney, um, you know, don't expect anything less. I mean, yeah. we're here to work for you and, you know, you're paying us to work for you. So demand the best out of your lawyer yeah. and it'll make the process better. You'll get better results. Great. It's good stuff. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. I know everyone out there got some uh, good tips and uh, ideas and information with regards to, you know, my wife's filed and now what? And so I hope you found it useful. I know I did. It's always good to talk through and get some good ideas. Uh, Next time, we're going to talk about part three, and I hope you all join us for part three, which is kind of a step-by-step discussion about perhaps the process and going through the details of the process that we just kind of went through quickly, but really talk about some of the deadlines and some of the critical things that you can do along the way to try to help and uh, further your case. So I hope you join us next time for part three. If you have any more questions or you want more information, certainly go on the website, go to cordellcordell.com, dadsdivorce.com, mensdivorce.com, or obviously, if you need to talk to us, you can uh, give us a call at 866-DADS-LAW. Until next time, we'll see you on part three. Thank you for listening to the Men's Divorce Podcast presented by Cordell & Cordell. To schedule your appointment with a Cordell & Cordell attorney, please visit cordellcordell.com or call us at 1-866-DADS-LAW. Also, make sure to visit our partner websites, mensdivorce.com and dadsdivorce.com, and download our free Men's Divorce Source app available on the App Store for the latest divorce news and resources. Cordell & Cordell, a partner men can count on.